Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. Everyone who went to a Mass celebrated by St. John Paul II was deeply moved by that Pope's spirit of prayer and reverence. His manner and voice and body language all reflected a profound, humble sense of God's presence. In his encyclical on the Eucharist, John Paul II gave a glimpse into what was going on in his heart whenever he celebrated Mass. He wrote, I have been able to celebrate Holy Mass in chapels built along mountain paths, on lake shores and sea coasts. I have celebrated it on altars built in stadiums and in city squares. This varied scenario of celebrations of the Eucharist has given me a powerful experience of its universal and, so to speak, cosmic character. Yes, cosmic. Because even when it is celebrated on the humble altar of a country church, the Eucharist is always, in some way, celebrated on the altar of the world. It unites heaven and earth. It embraces and permeates all creation. The Mass, in its essence, is cosmic and marvelous. But our experience of Mass is often cold and mundane. To overcome that disconnect, we need to remind ourselves of what's really happening at Mass. And that's what this conference will try to do. An Objective Anchor First, it's important to remember that the Mass is an objective way of approaching God, an objective way of having contact with God, and we need contact with God to find fulfillment in life. In the Mass, we can find Him no matter how we're feeling or what we're experiencing in our lives. It is dependable, a constant, like His love for us. It is a spiritual anchor, a vital touch point to keep us steady in our Christian journey. We meet Him there just as we are, so that He can meet us, to draw us closer to Him, to transform us. And because it's centered around Jesus, and not us, at Mass, we can let go of our need to perform, or pretend, or do anything other than worship Him. Other ways of encountering God are helpful too, and even necessary, but cut off from the Mass, they lose their objectivity. Often they depend on feelings or other external factors. If we go to a praise and worship gathering and feel good, we think we had contact with God. But if we feel bad, we wonder. If we make time for personal prayer, we often get distracted or fall asleep or run out of things to say, and we don't know if we're really praying as we should. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't participate in these kinds of activities. It just emphasizes our need for an objective way of approaching God, a way that doesn't depend primarily on our own ideas or feelings, and the Mass doesn't. The Mass is the perfect act of worship, the perfect prayer, objectively perfect, because the Mass is Jesus Christ's own prayer. It's His own sacrifice, His own act of worship, really made present for us, no matter how we feel. Let's look at some of the elements that give the Mass this unique objectivity. (music) 
God's guarantee. The priest who celebrates the Mass guarantees the objective quality. He has been configured to Christ in the very depth of his being through the sacrament of holy orders. Through his ordination to the priesthood, God has set him aside to act in Christ's place, just so we can be sure that this act of worship is truly Christ's own. And the prayers, readings, and rubrics of the Mass, as promulgated by the Church, are equally objective. They accurately express the truths of the faith and the sentiments of Christ himself, and so they are objectively pleasing to God. They hit the nail right on the head every time. So even if the priest is careless and sloppy, and even if the church building is ugly, and even if the music is horrid, and even if the congregation is motley, even so, when we participate in Mass, our weak and imperfect efforts to serve God are swept right up into Christ's perfect service. The Mass is like a wrinkle in time. In the Mass, Jesus opens a corridor through history, and even through the entire time-space continuum, linking three things. The here and now of our normal, everyday lives, the historical sacrifice of Christ's own body and blood on the cross at Calvary, and Christ's everlasting self-offering as it continues now in heaven. At Mass, we plug into eternity. Now let's take a bird's-eye look at the two major parts of every Mass— to see how all of that unfolds. Double-barreled. For more than 2,000 years, the Mass has consisted of two basic parts, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. In the Liturgy of the Word, the sacred ministers proclaim and explain the deeds and words of God as recorded in the inspired text of the Bible. We take our places beside the apostles, who spent three years living with Jesus, observing his actions and listening to his teaching in order to fill their souls with his truth. We tune our minds back into God's wavelength to remind us of his plans for the world and for our own lives to stir up our appreciation for His mercy and goodness. In the Liturgy of the Word, we listen to God's Word. And then, in the Liturgy of the Eucharist, we respond to that Word. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving, and thanksgiving is the most proper response to God's mercy and goodness. But on our own, fallen human beings that we are, we cannot thank God properly. He deserves much more than we can ever offer him. So Christ comes to our aid. He is our priest, our mediator, exercising this mediation through his ordained minister. And so, through the words and actions of the priest, Christ himself sacramentally makes present the perfect offering that he made once for all on Calvary. The sentiments of Christ's heart are made present through the words of the Eucharistic prayer. The sacrifice of his obedience is made present through the offering of the bread and wine, which the Holy Spirit transubstantiates at the words of consecration, turning them into Christ's very own body and blood. The more attentively we unite our own hearts and minds to this liturgy of the Eucharist, the more fully our lives are joined to Christ's 
and offered in thanksgiving to God. That in itself, hearing God's own words in the liturgy of the word, and participating directly in Christ's own loving sacrifice through the liturgy of the Eucharist, is a miracle beyond description. But it doesn't stop there. God wants to come even closer to us. He knows how difficult it is for us to participate with due reverence and attention in the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist, especially when the music is bad or the congregation is noisy and distracted or the priest is in a rush. And so, to make sure this encounter with him is as intimate, as real as possible, he offers himself to us completely, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in Holy Communion. This, then, is the Mass, an objective, supernatural encounter with God. Conclusion The Nuclear Power of the Mass We need God. Our souls yearn for Him. But in this fallen world, it is often hard to find Him. In this fallen world, it's even hard to remember to look for Him. And so the Church, like a good mother, commands us to attend Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation. In fact, it is a grave sin to miss Sunday Mass except for a serious reason. As we grow out of spiritual infancy, however, we don't need to be commanded. We want to go. We even start going during the week when we can. As we mature spiritually, things that we grudgingly did out of a dry sense of duty become expressions of heartfelt devotion. We yearn to receive God's grace and to plug every aspect of our lives into God, and we know that there's no better way to do so than by participating in Mass. And if there is ever a period in our life when we start skipping Mass because we don't have time or we don't feel like going, it is a sure sign that something's wrong, that our soul is sick, that our anchor is coming loose. Our Mass attendance, its frequency and its quality, is the most objective vital sign of our spiritual life, and our spiritual life is the key to the rest of our life. What we think about Mass will affect how we live Mass. In this conference, we have reflected on some of the reasons why St. John Paul II thought about and lived the Mass in such a profound, transforming way, a cosmic way, as he put it. Yet we have only scratched the surface. There is much more to discover. Here, for example, is a reflection made by Pope Benedict XVI, comparing what happens at Mass to a kind of spiritual nuclear fission that transforms all of creation. The Eucharist draws us into Jesus' act of self-oblation. More than just statically receiving the incarnate Logos— we enter into the very dynamic of his self-giving. Jesus draws us into himself. The substantial conversion of bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood introduces within creation the principle of a radical change, a sort of nuclear fission, to use an image familiar to us today, which penetrates to the heart of all being, a change meant to set off a process which transforms reality, a process leading ultimately to the transfiguration of the entire world 
to the point where God will be all in all. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.